Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. Well, here's uh, the report of what you guys wanted to hear. And honestly, I was a little irritated. I got to tell you. Because some of the things that got the highest votes, I thought, well, I just did a five-week series on that. What? So obviously, I need to do a better job. And uh, anyway, here's how the report came. 43% of you said that you wanted to hear a message on stress. And it would have been like 80%, but one person filled the same thing out like 100 times because they're really stressed and wanted to make sure I got the point. So anyway, we're going to deal with that today, the subject of stress, and uh, I'm going to hit it in just a little bit maybe different way than maybe what you're accustomed to hearing on this subject. The second thing that was the most was forgiveness. Uh, 28% of you said, I want to hear a message on forgiveness. I'm not sure, even though it's in second place, I told you we'd do the top, you know, three or four. Uh, I know it's in second place. Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to do that right now because there's some other ones that were pretty close. And um, I have a pretty lengthy series on our webpage called Offended. Uh, I did that when the church was kind of half closed down, half coming. And, uh, but it is in our library, so because of time and because of the book of Ephesians is going to take us uh, a number of weeks, I want to get into that as soon as I can. So Offended, for those of you that are looking for forgiveness principles, is in our library. It's free of charge. You can go there. The next one was spiritual warfare. 23% of you wanted to hear about spiritual warfare. Doesn't it sound like such an Old Testament phrase, doesn't it? And uh, But um, he, here's what's going to happen on spiritual warfare, uh, I'm going to include it, in fact, the, chap, uh, the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians, the book that we're getting ready to start here in just a couple more weeks, um, it has a lot to say in the sixth chapter about the armor of God and what we're wrestling against, so I'm going to reserve that topic for that series, all right? And so that's uh, spiritual warfare. And then the next one, uh, number four, was priorities. 18% of people wanted to know about, man, how do, I, how do I organize my priorities? Those are probably parents with little kids. How many would agree, right? Like, oh, man, how, how do I have time? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually talk a little bit about priorities today. It's not a message specifically on priorities. But when you hear me, when, when you hear the topic on how to manage stress, it has a lot to do with also managing and setting our priorities. Because if our priorities are right, then I would submit to you that our stress is less. All right? Okay, so we're going to dive into that, uh, stress and priorities. Now, here's what I wanted to do. Whenever I tackle a problem, um, and and let's just say stressed, uh, statistics, as I dove into this, matter of fact, we dove into this last Sunday after church, if you could believe it. We did all the surveys so that my mind could start working and praying about where uh, where God wanted us to go. Um, But I I like to take problems and look at them in reverse engineer them. And it was amazing how many people in America, it's it's huge percent, consider themselves church-going and non-church-going, religious and non-religious, everybody's stressed. So I like to take a problem like that and reverse engineer it. And so this is what I thought we'd do. Here's the simple solution. Stressed, spelled backwards, is desserts. So how many think we ought to just all go have desserts and... uh, (laughs) 
Right, wouldn't that just, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, anyway, I, I thought I'd try that, but it didn't really work, all right. In fact, we were going to try to have dessert today, but uh, that brought more stress on us. Anyway, all right. So most messages that you hear uh, about stress uh, would, would be more messages on how to manage or how to get out from under stress. Uh, most messages would be that. And as I was thinking about this, I said, Lord, you, you know, I'm always trying to look at a new way to look at an old truth. And, and I'm not so sure that's what you want us to do. I'm not, I'm not so sure that you're interested in us getting out from under stress. But, but God might want us to learn how to stand up under the pressures that we have or the stresses that we have, as long as the pressures are the right pressures. Come on now, are you hearing me? Let, let me give you an example. About 2015, when Patty and I, we moved back here, um, we had this little thought, and it was cutesy, and it was sweet, and it was nice, and that's that we wanted life to slow down, and we wanted it to be simpler. We kept saying to each other, let's live a simple life, and uh, let's do the simple things. And, and, and I was really, my goal was, because I'd been running hard since I was 19, my goal then was to reduce the stress. And so like a whole year, uh, it, it was the first time in my whole, since I've been 14, that I wasn't working. So for a whole year, we went on some cruises, whoop, whoop. And I mean, we had, we just had some good time. We went down, we visited some friends' church. I, I didn't, I, I wasn't preaching. I wasn't really working. And, and I realized in 2015, I had a stress-free life. It was wonderful. We were staying in Southern California for a lot of the time, so my routine was put on a pair of shorts, check the weather, 75 again, and... Um and go outside, I would go to the gym, and then I'd go to my favorite restaurant, and then I'd come, and uh, we were staying in a friend's house, um, they were gone, and it had a pool and a putting green in the backyard. I mean, I didn't have a stress in the world, but while I didn't have any stress in the world, something started happening. One, I started running out of money. <laughs> Secondly, I started running out of like, man, I got nothing to do. I have no stress at all, but I'm not accomplishing anything at all. And I got to thinking maybe a stress-free life is not really what God's after in our life. Maybe it's how do we handle the pressure that's on us. When you boil down the word stress, I looked it up. Actually, last Sunday afternoon, I started getting some preliminaries. And I looked up the word stress, and it had a whole bunch of different things uh, from breaks in the, your bones and all kind of things. But when you boil it down, here's the best definition that I want us to work with, and that is stress is when pressure is greater than capacity. Now, if I was defining that in my own words just a little bit more, I would say it this way. I'd say when external pressure uh, is greater than internal capacity. In other words, when the outer world is bigger than the inner world, how many know we're in trouble? One of the reasons we see a lot of leaders fail is because their outer world became bigger than their inner world. And I think we are living in a time where there's way too much focus on the outer world or the outward successes and not enough attention into the inner world and the foundations of our lives. Come on, are you with me so far? So the truth is, here, here's the truth. The pressure in life, hold on to your seats, you're going to get bummed out by this statement in case you didn't already know this. The, the truth is that the pressures in life, 
they're not going anywhere. So I could preach this pie-in-the-sky message all we want to about, okay, here's how you get rid of stress. No, the pressures of life are always going to be there. Come on, let me see the hands of every parent in the room. Yeah, now you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Don't you just love young parents? You know, oh, there's so much work right now, but eventually they'll start sleeping through the night. They just cry all the time. Eventually, they'll have a whole hour where they don't cry or need a diaper change. And then they get into the twos, and some people call them the terrible twos. And, and parents will say, as soon as they get done with the twos, you know, then life will be wonderful. And then they enter these elementary exploring years, and they're like, oh, my gosh, my kid just turned into a devil. What is going on? And, uh, and, then, and then it's like, well, once they're past junior high, and, and whoa, no, you young parents got a lot, you better start praying now, it's, all right? And, and, and then it's like, oh, then the high school years, and man, once I graduate these kids, then, then I'll have a life again. No, you won't. The stress that you guys started will be there until you die. Am I right about it, parents? Because you, whoa, somebody's bitter. All right, so... <laughs> It's okay, that's another message. All right. So anyway, but the stress of parenting never leaves. It just doesn't leave. Both our, all of our kids, but both our kids are in their 30s now, and it doesn't stop because you start stressing about, should I say something? Should I not say something? Should I say something? Should I not say something? And then they have kids, and then that's stressful because they're doing it different than they ought to be doing it. <laughs> And life never stops. The only way we get rid of stress is go crawl under a rock and do nothing. But eventually you've got to feed yourself. And that gets stressful too. Am I right about it, right? And, and so maybe we should stop trying to avoid the pressures of life or the stresses of life. And perhaps we ought to look at increasing our capacities. Increasing, strengthening the inner person. So uh, I went to the Old Testament. I was going to bring two New Testament characters, but I didn't have time for it this morning. So I went to the Old Testament, and, and I started considering the life of Moses. If you know anything about the life of Moses, you think the guy had a little stress on him? I mean, think about it. God says, hey, uh, first of all, the burning bush would have been stressful for me. Um, some of you would have been, like, really spiritually into it, but it would have been, like, really freaking me out. And then God says, hey, I want you to go to the biggest, powerfulest kingdom on the planet right now and just walk up in there and tell the guy in charge, hey, let my people go. <laughs> I mean, that's some stress. We read those and we watch the movies like, yeah, another thing. But think about the pressure of when God calls you to do something. And then he goes in and he does it, and it doesn't happen the way he thinks it ought to happen just because he goes to church every Sunday. And uh, it didn't happen the way that he thought it ought to happen. And that created some stress because then God said, hey, tell them, if they don't let my people go, there's going to be some really weird things that are going to go on. Water's going to be turned into blood. That's stressful. And like grasshoppers are going to invade their fields. Oh, man, they're going to blame me. The PR mess this is going to create. The social media reads, oh, my goodness, God, are you sure? That's stressful. Frogs in every house, you know, how it, you know, all the stuff, all that goes on. And now, finally, Moses gets Pharaoh to say, okay, get out of here. They start journeying from the land of bondage to the land 
that flows, that has rhythm, that is victorious, the promised land. But I want you to imagine something, because sometimes we forget this. Moses is single-handedly leading, uh, some scholars believe, up to four million people across the desert. And you think driving your family on vacation was stressful, right? I mean, four million church people across the desert. Could you imagine? Well, we just think we ought to spend more time in prayer. And, well, we think the worship music's too loud, Moses. And, you know, I just think the way you ought to be doing things is, you you know what I'm saying? And then, like, they're supposed to go directly into the promised land, but he sends 12 spies in. Ten of them come out talking ugly and mean, and they're Christians, and they're posting things that they shouldn't be posting and get the whole congregation to say, Boo, Moses, we don't want to do it, right? That's stressful, too. Four million people, and they're starting to have issues, and they're starting to have disputes. And watch this. Moses is trying to handle it all by himself. Could you imagine? Next. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, could you imagine? And so in Moses' life, we see that the pressure of the outside started becoming bigger than the person was on the inside. And so Moses had this great guy in his life called Jethro. Isn't that a great name? He's from Alabama. And um, <laughs> that's for you, Corey. I know you're watching. All right. So, um, and so Jethro comes to him and says, Moses, look, you got this all messed up. And here's what Jethro says. And then I want to take some just very practical. This wouldn't be a Bible study so much today as just some very applicable points about increasing our capacity. So here's what he says, Exodus chapter number 18. Again, I'm not doing a Bible study on this, so you might want to read Exodus 18 if you want to kind of exhaust this a little bit. I'm just going to use it as a backdrop. So Jethro comes. Moses' father-in-law, and said to him, what you are doing is not good. Now, let me stop right there. When we're going to talk about increasing our capacity and getting our priorities, we have to be willing to look at our life and our lifestyles and our schedule, and there has to be something in there that we decide, you know what, this part isn't good. It might have been good at the previous season of life, but it's not good today. Come on, just because it used to be good doesn't mean it's good today. You have to discern the different ages and stages and seasons that your life is in. The sons of Issachar were blessed because they could discern the seasons that they were in. Okay? And it says, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. Most people feel themselves there right now, or at least 43%. You will wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. Let me paraphrase that. Some of us are just trying to do way too many things, and we don't know this one word, and we grew up with our mother spelling it to us even, and we still don't know the word no. Come on. What part of no don't you understand? Did anybody's mom say that to you besides mine, right? You are not able to do it alone. The pressure, watch this, The pressure, the four million people didn't go away. The issues and the disputes, they didn't go away. There was just a new way to manage and handle the pressures that were there. 
I know it would be better if I could wave a magic scripture wand and all of our troubles just float away into the clouds. But how many know that's not really life, right, everybody? Exodus chapter number 18, if we go a little farther into verse number 23, again, just as a backdrop, uh, Jethro unveils this plan. He says, Moses, do it this way. He's talking about just, really, he's talking about empowering people in his life. And he says, if you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure. you got to be able to endure. When I read that, I read that to me personally because only one out of every ten pastors that started in the ministry in their 20s will still be in the ministry by the time they reach the age of 60. And in the last five years, we've seen an epidemic of pastors either crashing and burning or leaving ministry. And here's what I also know. I know other people that have checked out. The lights are on, but man, we are just going through the motions. Come on, everybody. I want to be able to finish the race. The mark of a good man and woman is not where you start the race or if you fall down during the race. The mark of a good man and woman is if we get up and we keep on going and we finish our race and we finish our calling. Right, everybody? Right? And... uh, He said, you'll be able to endure all the pressures that come. You'll be able to endure them. And all this, people will also go to their place in peace. And I think that's what we're looking for. Okay, so let me do this. I'm going to do this a little bit quick because I want to unveil life groups to you today. And uh, so I want to give you five ways to increase your capacity. These are just very practical. I didn't really have time to do a full Bible study on all these. Now, let me add a layer on top of this. While we're increasing our, uh, our capacity, for those 18% of you that ask about priorities, watch real careful and lean into this and see if you don't see priorities overlapped on the top of this, all right? So let's dive into it. Here they are. Number one, five ways to increase our capacity. Number one, our capacity increases when we allow our bodies and minds to recover, I was just going to put bodies like, you know, like we have a day off, but it's not just our bodies. What we're learning more and more now, especially because of electronics and social media, we have to have a time where our minds recover. Some of us sleep with our phone in our hand, and and every time it buzzes, we look. It's two in the morning. It's like your mind does not have a chance to recovery. Recover. So here's, here's the question. You don't have to answer this out loud. But my question to you would be this. Where is recovery time built into your schedule? Not if you accidentally get it. You, you know, one of these days. I know, I hear you laughing. That's why we're preaching the message. Where is recovery? Do you schedule recovery the same way you schedule a coffee? Do you schedule recovery the same way you schedule a meeting. Hold on a second. Do you schedule time with God the same way you schedule a time with a person? And that might sound so foreign to you. Uh, Janessa's getting ready to start a life group. I'm going to unveil those in just a minute. But she, so here's a head start on it. She's starting a life group on a book that she read. I read it in 2019, and it radically changed my life uh, by John Mark Comer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And uh, the foreword is by John Ortenberg, which is another great man of God. And, um, and so she's starting a life group for ladies. Um, and um, it, it's just an incredible book about remembering why God created a Sabbath. 
And it's not for us to be religious about it, but in 2019, I started a Sabbath in my life. Now, I used to would say I had a Sabbath, but it was kind of, you know, flexible whenever. And I said, no, from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, that's going to be my, well, usually it's just Saturday, is going to be my Sabbath. And, and I have to do it. If I didn't do it, then Sunday mornings would feel stressful for me. And if Sunday mornings felt stressful for me, how many know that would begin to translate to the team, right? And how many know pretty soon Radius would not be a life-giving place, am I right? And so the question would be, is your home a life-giving place? Uh, if you're an athlete at all, you'll know this, that weightlifters, they can't train the same body part every day. They would wear it out. And, and so they don't go in and train the same, the bicep, every single day because they know something. Athletes know that your muscles don't grow when you're training. Your muscles don't grow when you're lifting the weights. Your muscles don't grow when you're putting the pressure and the stress on them. Your muscles grow when they have time to recover, and your muscles are growing when you're sleeping. When you're lifting those weights, it's tearing the muscles apart. And if you don't have a recovery time to fuel your body and to rest your body, those muscles will never recover at a stronger level. I wonder if we could be a whole lot stronger if we would just schedule some recovery time in our lives. Lives. Amen. Hebrews tells us this. Now, when I talk about a Sabbath, I'm not talking about a day. Uh, and I know churches fight over this issue, but Jesus told us, no, 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 I, I, I didn't make man for the Sabbath. I made the Sabbath for man. I made it so that you would take a break, that, that you would see even God took a break, so that might be, here's your clue, you need a break. And, um, and, and so the Sabbath is not about a day. It's more about a principle. Where do I recover? Where do I rest? How do I stay strong? And I, if I was sitting there today, I'd translate that into every area of my life, my work, my marriage. Where does my marriage, where in my marriage do we have us time where we work to build it up and recover all the maintenance that we do? Chirp, chirp, chirp. All right. Hebrews chapter number 4, verse number 11, it says this to us, Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. Uh, one translation says, Let us make every effort to be at rest. I was, uh, I was at my friend's church in 2015 down in San Diego, and he asked me to go to lunch with him. He had a guest pastor coming in from South Africa. I said, sure. And we met over at California uh, Pizza Kitchen, and we sat down. And, and I'd never met the pastor from South Africa before. His name's Josh. And uh, he said, hey, he said, hey, mate. <laughs> you know, they talk a little different. And, uh, and he said, what are you up to? I said, well, I'm getting ready to go up to Washington, and I'm going to plant a church. And he said, look. He said, look, mate, you don't know me, but do you mind if I, I just feel impressed that God's telling me to say something to you as you go launch your church? And, and of course, I said, absolutely. And, and he quoted this verse, Hebrews chapter number 4, verse number 11. And he said, Ken, I don't know you, but I have a suspicion that if you have the unction and the energy to go start a church, then somebody needs to warn you that you need to also put a discipline in your life because we already know if you're going to plant a church, you're going to work hard. So what God might want you to know is you also need to work just as hard at being at rest. Wow. 
And then I read this verse. He memorized it. I had to quick Google and look it up real quick. And I read, let us therefore make every effort. And so in 2019, I said, that's, that's every effort. I, in other words, there's a whole lot of things I might have to say no to because i got to make an effort that recovery is somewhere in my schedule or I'm not a good dad, I'm not a good man, I'm not a good husband, I'm not a good pastor. In fact, I'm just no good, all right, because I'm not recovering. Everything will be better. Everything is more productive when we rest. Now, on my Sabbath, real quick, I do things that replenish my soul. Now, some of you might not know what that is. That's why you need a Sabbath, to figure out what fuels you. And so on Saturdays, I can tell you, it's pretty much the same routine. I get up, and I make a big breakfast. I like to get up before while it's still dark, and I make a big breakfast. And it's okay that nobody else is awake yet because nobody else eats breakfast. And I get it all together. I mean, I make sausage, and I make eggs, and I make potatoes, and I make pancakes. I make it all. I mean, it's just every bit of it. And I enjoy it. I get out every pan in the whole kitchen. And then I wash them all up. And while I'm doing that, uh, I'm watching some of the podcasts that I like. And then I'll usually end up out in my shed, which is my little office, and I'll watch a movie, a guy movie, a revenge, kick your booty movie, all right? Uh, I don't care whatever movies you are into, but I've had enough Hallmark through the week, all right? Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I got to recover. I got to recover. I got to see somebody say, go ahead, make my day. I got to see it. Otherwise, I'm no good. I'm just saying, you got to know your combination, all right? Patty usually buys my favorite food. Last night, I had steak, I had macaroni, and I had a salad. That, woo, it was good. So everything that just replenishes me, sometime during that day, we'll hold hands, we'll talk, we'll share, we'll watch a Netflix nice movie with her, all right? And <laughs> And so, uh, anyway, I do things that recover my soul. Now, for me, I don't read on that day because I read books and books and books all week. I don't usually read unless it's something unrelated to theology or spiritual leadership, okay? I'm just shifting gears. Okay, enough on that. Number two is our capacity increases when we know who we are. Because if you don't know who you are, you will waste a lot of time and burn a lot of energy trying to stand where God only created somebody else to stand, right? I, I, I like to say it this way. Identity is the doorway to your destiny. And so when you know who you are, you know what to say yes to and what to say no to. You know where to spend money and where not to spend money. Come on. As a church, watch this. We do four things. We just taught on this this Wednesday. We, we want four things for you. We want you to know God. We want you to find freedom. We want you to discover purpose. And we want you to be a part of making a difference. Our church does those four things. That's where we spend our time. That's how we know what things to say yes to, what things to say no to, what things to spend money on, what to things to spend energy on, what things to spend resources on, because it identifies us as a church. And don't you think for a moment that there's hundreds of people that tell us how we ought to be doing church and what things we should be doing. And they're good ideas most of the time. Not all of them, but most of the time they're good ideas. But i got to keep the main thing, the main thing, otherwise we'll be so thin doing all kinds of things that we won't make any difference at all. Right, everybody? The same principle applies to our life. When you know who you are, the next step I'll get to in just a minute. But when you know who you are, 
then you know where to spend your time and resources, and you know what things to say yes and no to in life. Um, I lived my life by, for years by a principle called the fist. I've taught it. I've done seminars on it. I've done leadership conferences on it. I made it up one day when I was like 27 years old because I was pastoring a church. I, I have, we had little kids. I was flopping as a husband, and I realized everybody always wanted my time. And so I lived this life called the fist. Uh, uh, you could probably Google it and find a teaching, me doing it somewhere. But for me, I decided what was valuable. And for me, it was my faith, my family, my finances, my fitness, and my friends. And that made my fist. And anything that I was going to say yes to, anything that I was going to spend energy on, anything that I was going to put my time on had to fall under one of those categories. Otherwise, I had to say no because in case you haven't noticed lately, I'm human, and I have the same amount of hours in my day as you do in yours, and I cannot, even though it's worthy, hear me now, I cannot, it's impossible for me to say yes to everything. If I said yes to everything, maybe my marriage wouldn't be as good. If I said yes to everything, maybe my relationships with my kids wouldn't be as good. If I said yes to everything, maybe my relationship with God wouldn't be that good. Because I just can't say yes to everything. Now, the, here's what I suspect. The devil's not trying to get Christians to fall into some deep sin. The devil's just trying to get Christians to be so busy under the name of God, working for God, that you forget all about God. Ooh, that was worth the price of admission right there. Okay, number three. The third thing to increase our capacity, uh, our capacity increases when we know what we are created to do. But notice the order. We first got to know who we are before we can know what we're supposed to do, all right? And uh, you can't know that until you know who you are. So let me give you another example out of my life. There's a lot of opportunities I have, but I have to say no to a lot of opportunities. I have to say no to a lot of events. I've said no to a lot of Seattle Seahawks tickets. I've said no to a lot of things that would be a lot of fun, and they're not sinful things. They just don't match up to who I am and what God has called me to do. Come on now. Now, um, um, and so you have to be able to say no to those. Um, I've had to say no to being a businessman. People always offer me opportunities. Oh, Ken, if you could leverage your, in your, your influence as a pastor, you could be making 30 grand a month. And I'm like, that sounds wonderful. I would love that. But I have to say no to things because I know, watch this, who I am and what I'm called to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2 Peter says it this way, in 2 Peter chapter number 1, it says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and your election. In other words, confirm it. In, in other words, keep it a priority. Make sure it's in front of you. What are you called to do? Now, that's a big question for some people because some people are saying, I have no idea what I'm called to do. But for those of you that do, watch this. Your calling has a competitor. Have you ever noticed that? There's always a competitor trying to keep you from the main thing. It's trying to keep you from your time with God. Have you ever noticed this? Have you ever set a New Year's resolution and said, this is the year I'm going to read through the Bible. I got to Genesis 2 and something happened, right? Come on, how many know what I'm saying? This is the day I'm going to serve my spouse. And doggone it, the first day she made me, he made me mad. I'm done with that. That was a dumb idea anyway, right? Why? Because your calling has a competitor. 
there will always be something that looks appealing in the moment to keep you from your focus. The enemy wants you busy. Ecclesiastes 4 says it this way. He says, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing the wind. This is like an anti-American verse, isn't it right here? It's like, man, Americans, we don't have to have both hands and feet filled. We don't have to have 24 hours a day clocked out, filled up. We don't have to do that. It's a lie. If you're one of the ones that say, man, I don't know my calling. I don't know what God wants from me. I beg of you then to come to Next Steps. This Wednesday, we'll start dealing with how God made you. You have a personality type. You have a spiritual gift. We'll help you discover that, but we'll take it a step further. Because some of you say, oh, I did that at work one time. Yeah, but you didn't do the next part at work. You didn't see how that spiritual gift and that personality profile, um, how God can specifically use that in the body of Christ. And we will literally go as far as to map out uh, in the flesh all those opportunities. So it's not some vague thing. So God created you for something. So know who you are. Number four is our capacity increases when we are supported by others. You knew I had to say this because this is Life Group Sunday, everybody. But it is so true. We are not supposed to be good at everything. We are supposed to do life together and as iron sharpens iron. Come on. How many of you know somebody that does life all by themselves and refuses to get plugged in anywhere? Anybody know them person? Now, the same people with their hands up, aren't they weird? Come on now, right? No, you don't have to say that. Right? But it's the truth. We get awed. We start thinking and believing our own press and what's right and what's wrong with no accountability or any friends pressing in on us. We need one another. Just like in a marriage, and I just got done teaching on marriage, how, how we, we help one another become whole. That's what friends do. Watch this. God created two institutions, marriage to make us better and the church to make us better. So if you're single and you're not married, you wonder, well, that's why God has the church. Church and marriage are all about doing life together so that we can be better together than we would ever be on our own. I just want to make sure you are on track with that. I'm going to unveil life groups, as I've said, in just a minute, but I'm going to take a little pastor privilege here. We're going to, we're going to, I think we're unveiling uh, 19 or 20 of them today with another 10 coming, so we're going to have 30 life groups to choose from. Um, but let me share a little vision. So, so um, I've been for almost two years now doing discipleship for young men. And, and I'm opening it up a little bit where it's going to be all men. And yes, I was a little jealous of what Carmen and her team pulled off yesterday with like 140 ladies in the house. And, uh, and, and just, it was over the top. Thank you so much, Carmen. But men, come on, we got to do better. You cannot allow your pastor to stand up here and say, we got more men coming than women, and two people say, I'd like to be a part, all right? Come on now. Men, it's time for us to come together. So here's what we're going to do. On May the 3rd, which is when we're launching our life group, May the 3rd, um, um, we, I'm going to call all men together. No matter what you're, you, somewhere in your late teens, you discern that to 140, all right? So I think that covers just about every age group. And, um, 
And, 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 and so what we'll do is I'll do, for four weeks, I'll do a teaching that's geared specially to men. Uh, and on May 3rd, I figured I'm going to learn from Carmen. We're going to have food brought in for the men because, you know, we can't do nothing if we don't eat, all right? So we'll have food brought in that day. I'll do a teaching. And then out of those four weeks together, we're going to launch 10 more men-specific life groups. Because men, we need each other just as much as... Women are willing to admit it. Men are like, I'm good. (laughs) You ain't good. Ask your wife. You are not good. All right? So, uh, I'm inviting you to come. Now, listen, there's a method behind the madness. I've purposely spent almost two years uh, discipling young men. Now we're opening up to the whole group of men. We're going somewhere with all this, so I'm going to unveil it to you. So later this year, December the 4th-ish, we're going to do a big men's dinner, just like Carmen did. But we're going to do a men's dinner. It won't be quite as dainty. We'll probably have, like, you know, wild boar catered in or, you know... (laughs) Come on, Mark, go shoot some pigs for us, and uh, we'll bring it in, and we'll have Jim cook it, and the rest of us will eat it, all right? And we're going to have, they had prizes, it just is pathetic. They just, you know, I mean, they bribed everybody here. So we're going to do the same thing, all right? And so we're going to have prizes and door prizes also, and we're just going to do a men's dinner in December with the whole goal. Now watch this. I need businessmen. I've already said this once. I got one guy that said, oh, I'll help. All right. Versus 140. It makes me so mad. All right. So anyway, I need businessmen to say, Ken, I'll help sponsor that. And we're going to give away. They gave away bracelets and stuff. We're going to give away like guns and bow and arrows and fishing rods and motorcycles and, and side-by-sides and, and golfing. I mean, we're going to blow them so bad out of the water. (laughs) I love you, Carmen. You did a great job. I want you to know. All right. Now, now watch this. Because we're going somewhere with this. There is nothing that is drawing the men of Skagit Valley together. And men need it desperately bad. We are in one of the most unfathered areas of the nation. And so we need to bring men together. Then that will lead us to 2023. We might have to, depending on your participation, uh, 2024, to a men's conference multi-day for the entire Skagit Valley. Wouldn't that be great to see hundreds of men come together? Come on and say a good amen. All right. Okay. But all that to say we need one another. Ecclesiastes 4 says it this way. In Ecclesiastes 4, two are better than one, right? Because they have a good return for their labor. We're better together, everybody. You can read the rest of that verse. Let me do my last one, and I'll be out of your way. Number five, our capacity increases when God is helping us. Uh, it's amazing when we put God first. Now watch, here's your priorities. That whole fist thing, that's your priorities. Here's your priorities. Get God number one in your life, which will solve priorities, and it will also solve stress. God can't be like number two, three, four, five. Oh, I think I'll go worship him today if I don't have anything else going. I think I'll make time for him today if something else isn't more important. If I did that with my wife, I'd have frying pan dents all over my head. 
But what, yet we do that to God, like, well, you know, if I feel like it today, if I, uh, right? And, and so let me take you, I started with an Old Testament story. Let me just take you and end with a New Testament story from Jesus himself. And he's talking about reducing stress and setting priorities in order all in one little sermon. And he says this, Matthew chapter number 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Modern translation, stressed out, freaked out, everybody that's overloaded, right? And I will give you rest. Now watch this. If I was really preaching this verse today, I'd say, watch this. Take my yoke upon you. Notice something. He's not trying to take something off of you. He's actually putting something on you. But he's putting something different on you than what the world puts on you. So it's not about eliminating the stuff. It's about increasing our capacity. So take my yoke upon you. And this word right here, uh, yoke, is a custom yoke. I mean, you guys know this. Two animals are yoked together to plow a field, to do some work. But when there's a custom yoke, that's why the Bible says don't be unequally yoked because one animal's trying to go one way, one's trying to go the other way, okay? But a custom yoke is that you can work and not be bad and bruised and bleeding at the end of the work because he goes on to say and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls isn't that what it's about it's rest for your souls because if you're stressed you can go on vacation all you want and the vacation will only make you more stressed you ever been on vacation you come home and say I need a vacation from my vacation why? Because your soul's not at rest. And I would submit that a vacation doesn't get your soul on rest. A life rhythm is what gets your soul in rest. And we need to relook at our life rhythms, all right? Um, so let me end with one more priority principle and Jesus teaching, Matthew chapter number 6, verse number 33. It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. What things? The things that we're stressing about. He literally teaches about it in Matthew 6. You can go read it about what we're going to wear, where we're going to eat, you know, our mortgage payment, our rent payment, our, just the things that we all worry about. He said, but if you'll seek me first, not your career, if you'll seek me first, not your money, if you'll seek me first, I, I'll take care of all these other things. But you keep me, you want, somebody wants to know about priorities, put God number one. Now, as your friend, I would come alongside you and say, is he really number one? Is he Is he really? Like, is he the first part of every day? Is he the first part of your money? Is he the, is he the first person you go to when life is crazy? Is he the first part of your week coming to church on Sunday to start your week? Is he really the first in your life? And all these things, they'll be given to you as well. Peace comes when I put God first. The pressure doesn't have to go away. Remember, Jesus was in the boat. Jesus didn't even have to stop one of the storms. But the disciples realize, as long as he's in the boat, I'm cool. Let the wind blow, <laughs> right? Because Jesus is in the boat. And when Jesus is in the boat and when we have him first, I say this around here all the time, order determines outcome. If you want a different outcome, you've got to change your order. And changing your order means putting God number one. All right, there's the stress one. Will you guys receive that? All right, everybody? All right. <laughs>